The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Exploring our oneness with spirit and each other. Unity Online Radio. Thank you for tuning in for this Unity Partner Program. Unity Online Radio partners with spiritual leaders from organizations whose mission and messages complement Unity's. We are pleased to bring you this program on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome to Main Street Vegan with host Victoria Moran. Victoria is an author, inspirational speaker, and a certified holistic health counselor and vegan lifestyle coach. She's here to entertain, educate, and inspire you on your journey to look and feel amazing, eat extraordinary food, help animals, and create a physical body perfectly attuned to spiritual growth. Now, let's get this party started. Here is your host, Victoria Moran. everybody. Welcome to the Main Street Vegan Show. It is my pleasure to be talking with you on this very day. Got a couple of very, very cool guests. We're going to be talking after the break with Seth Tibbet, the founder of Tofurky. Isn't that cool? Don't you wish you had thought of the Tofurky? <laughs> I wish I had. But we all have our karma, and we're all doing great good in the world. Wonderful to have you all on board. And I am very excited to be introducing to you my first guest, who is a friend of mine. I think, don't we get to be real friends in the real world when somebody actually comes to your house? And this gentleman has visited me at home with his lovely wife. And our guest is Dr. David Maddow, commonly known as Mr. Vegan. He's a plant-based marriage marathon runner and athlete of many stripes and host of the David Maddow Lifestyle Show, a podcast that has listeners in 123 countries. And we'll put on the um, show notes over there at MainStreetVegan.net all the URLs for how you can find his podcast and his social media and all the rest. He's a big Periscope guy. Maybe we'll get to talk a little bit about Periscope and uh, how he's gotten to be uh, such a force on that medium. His 2007 book, Impress the World with Your Body in Seven Days, has a major cult following around the world. And he's working on his new book, Vegan in seven days scheduled to be released this summer um hello jeff yep. am i doing something wrong okay uh sometimes my my uh engineer communicates with me and i don't know the meaning of it okay dr dave recently released his first solo parody song entitled vegan on a jet plane and guess what we're gonna have a little musical interlude here in just a minute or two but first let's just say hey dr dave victoria how you doing great to be here thanks dave, for having you- i am here can, can you hear me now yes i can i okay, can good. indeed thank I- you Thanks for having me here. This is this is great. This is fun. Well, it is fun, and we've done it the other way. You've been kind enough to have me on your various productions a couple of times, and I'm really happy to share all your good work with my listeners. So, Dr. Dave, you, you are a dentist. You're not practicing that at this time, but that's where the DR comes from. Well, where did the songwriting come from? 
Well, it's a, I'll tell you a quick story. I uh, had my guitar in my closet for about 15 years. I pulled it out to write my son and his new wife a wedding song. So I kind of pulled it out of my closet, dusted it off, tuned it up, wrote them a song. It went over pretty well at the wedding, and then I decided I was not going to put it back in my closet after I, after all this effort. So I decided, what, what can I do? I'm not a great guitar player. I'm not a great songwriter. I'm not even a great singer. But I figured I'm, there's got to be something I can do. So I travel a lot. I'm a vegan. What better could I do than write a vegan parody song? <laughs> <laughs> okay, with um, thanks and honor to John Denver. <laughs> Da-da! Vegan on a jet plane. Okay, now we'll tell you. I'm, I'm in my kind of my my studio, and I've got a few. I've got a little live audience here too, so you might hear some applause at the end. It's it's actually real. I've got a true audience here with me. They want to see this play too. Okay, wonderful. All my food is packed. I'm ready to go from Baltimore to Ohio. This one-hour flight will put me to the test. Got a tofurkey sandwich with fake mayo, three slices of avocado, almond butter, and celery sticks in my vest. My suitcase is gluten-free. The TSA man winks at me. He waves me through every single time. Cause I'm vegan on a jet plane. Plant-based and I'm feeling great again. Eating quinoa in the sky. Now it's 12 o'clock and almost time to board. Got all the food I can barely afford. I wait for them to call me to the gate. When I look around, one thing I see is someone drinking Diet Coke and eating beef jerky. I pray to God he won't be my seatmate. <laughs> My t-shirt says herbivore. I'm led right through a special door. I get pre-bored every single time. Cause I'm vegan on a jet plane. And yes, I'm getting enough protein. So don't you worry about me. A guy asked me, may I sit here, please? Then he pulls out a sandwich of liver and cheese. A girl's wearing a mask. It's not Halloween. I guess she's got strep throat. On the other side, a lady resides eating rotten salmon sushi and a bucket of fries. Oh, did I mention that she's wearing a long mink coat? And it's August. The flight attendant asked what I'm reading. I showed her my copy of Main Street Vegan. I get first place on paint every single time. I did that for you. Why, thank you. Because I'm vegan on a jet plane eating fruit in the friendly skies again watching clouds go by. <laughs> The boy in back of me says his tummy is aching as he's eating five eggs and ten strips of bacon. I gotta do something before I go insane. So I ripped off my shirt and showed my vegan tattoo. I handed all the passengers a bunch of tofu. All of a sudden, the aura on the plane changed. The guy in front of me started meditating as the smell of kale was permeating. The flight attendants were investigating when a man with diabetes threw out his medication. An elderly couple began copulation. Everyone was loving, no one was hating. The flight became so peaceful, I could cry. <laughs> The pilot said, come fly with me, just bring some extra broccoli, a cockpit seat every single time. <laughs> 
Cause I'm vegan On a jet plane No one is eating meat again Feel the compassion grow Cause I'm vegan On a jet plane Don't know when I'll be back again Oh babe, I hate to go Oh my God. Excellent. I've heard it before, but I, I loved it even more this time. That was brilliant. Oh, and thank Victoria, thank you so much. Coming from you, that means a lot to me. Well, and as someone who travels a lot, you really hit it on the head. And that brings me to my first question. Early in the song, when you're talking about the foods that you packed for, for your trip, those are the kinds of foods that when people like you and me look in our refrigerators, that's what we see. It's not what people see out in the world. My my darling daughter, Adair, I guess she's named that because she is a daredevil, um, is an aerialist and a stunt person. The listeners know. She took a fall. She took a fall. I, know, uh, I in, saw. I saw that on Facebook. Yeah. And uh, broke her collarbone. And so she was in the hospital after, after surgery. And they brought in breakfast, and it was a white bagel and orange juice and instant oatmeal, and there was some whole fresh fruit. But, you know, it was the kind of thing that people that, you know, kind of come from the little bit less carb point of view would go, ah! So (laughs) how does it it work for you out in the world and on the road trying to be a healthy vegan? It's a great question, and there's a lot of truth to what I wrote about in this song because wherever I travel, and I travel a pretty good amount, I speak all over the all over the U, all over North America, and I always carry a backpack with me with my own food. It could be celery sticks, all kinds of different nuts, nut butters, uh, some healthy crackers, fruit. I always carry my backpack, and even when I go to my hotel, I always request a microwave and a refrigerator, and I go to the nearest Whole Foods, Trader Joe's some kind of natural store and I always buy food for my breakfast, for my snacks there. I don't I cannot count on hotel food, airplane oh airplane food is the worst. I just can't count on any of it. So people say that it's so difficult to be vegan, to be plant based. It's really not. You just have to do a little bit of planning. That's it. I think it's not difficult. It's just a cultural. You know, if we got to eat at home all the time it would be the easiest thing in the world. So Exactly. Yeah, exactly right. Um, I did mention earlier that you, to me, you, I know you, you are Mr. Vegan, but I think of you <laughs> as Mr. Periscope. So tell oh. us about what you do on Periscope, how we can find you there, and, and what you would advise other vegans who want to have a Periscope presence. Well, yeah, it's so I'm having a lot of fun with Periscope, and I, I know you were on for a while. I haven't seen, I don't think I've seen you lately, but I'm having a lot of fun. And you can, anybody can find me just by searching for David Maddo on Periscope. Um, if you know how to spell my name, D A V I D M A D O W, you'll find me there. I try to get on every day and do a um, inspirational, motivational show. Just have some fun. Um, but if for anybody that's plant based, I suggest going on and just doing a search on Periscope for vegan or plant-based, um, hashtag vegan, and you'll find a lot of scopers. My, um, some friends of mine are doing right, the roaches. Uh, we got people that are in, um, broadcasting from their kitchen every day. It's incredible. And then after you've got a few views under your belt, you see what we're doing. Have fun and go in there and try to broadcast your own stuff. It, it's a great audience. People will love it. You'll build a following. It is one of the coolest things I've been doing in, over the past six months or so, Victoria. But you do a great job with it. And for, for people who aren't familiar, it is, and stop me if I'm wrong in any of this, it's owned by Twitter, and it's little videos that are live when you're doing them, and people can actually comment to you while you are scoping. And then after 24 hours, it disappears, and you get to do something right. else. Exactly. It's live streaming. So the good thing, as opposed to YouTube, you know, while I'm doing a video, people are con- they're asking me questions, they're commenting, they're giving me hearts, which is kind of like the equivalent of liking something on Facebook. It's it's incredible, and I'm having a, just a blast with it. And building a nice following on, on Periscope as well. So it's a free app. It's a free app on an iPhone or a Droid. It's, you, do, you do the download. It's pretty self-explanatory. You're right. It's owned by Twitter. It's really easy, and it's, it's fun. And there, you, there's just so much out there. It's unbelievable. 
Cool. So I know that you are an inspirational guy. You, you have a, a company that, that helps dentists in their practice building and that sort of thing. You're a member of National Speakers Association, so you're an inspirational speaker to vegans and omnivores alike. What is your basic, in a nutshell, philosophy of life? How can we all be a whole lot happier? Uh, well, great question. And I was going to say, you kind of beat me to it right there because, you know, people talk about exercise, losing weight, diet, eating plant-based, um, making money. They talk about all that. But the most important thing, I think, in, in my life for sure and in everybody's life, I think the most important thing is happiness. Health is I probably second, but it's a very close second. But happiness is crucial. So my Advice is to, to live your life the way you want to live your life. Um, if, you're, if you're not happy in a job, in a relationship, do everything possible to just to make it better. And if, you, if you've done everything you can and for some reason you just don't like going to work in the morning, then I'm going to say find something better because time ticks, time ticks away. Um, the years go fast, as you and I both know, and, and we've got to be doing what we love. Happiness, it, happiness trumps everything else in my opinion. Amen to that. Yeah. And I think knowing that you're living in a way that is, is good for you and saving the lives of others, how could that not make you happy? That's exactly right. Uh, what I do every day, I say, I say after one of my podcasts or after a, a Periscope broadcast, if I help one person, that made my day. I know I've helped more than one, but if I just help one person, then I'm, then I'm good. I'm good to go. I love it. it. There's nothing, and you know the same, it's nothing like teaching others. It's, it's yeah. just the greatest feeling on the planet. For sure. Now, let me just ask you one last question. I know sure, our time is so sure. short. Your podcast is now the David Maddow uh, Lifestyle Show. You um, were doing something previously for boomers in that, and when I see you, and I hear that you say you're a boomer, that, that your son was recently married. It blows me away because you really are um, youth-blessed. So give us a couple of tips for staying young. Wow. Well, have good genes. That's number one. <laughs> I, I, thank my, I thank all my grandparents. They're, they're not here anymore. But uh, my, grand, my grandfather lived to 106. Whoa. Uh, but, we, but we can't help. You know, we, we, we can't control our genes. So next best thing is to live a life that's true to you. Again, I, I really believe that if we're happy, uh, we'll live a long life, happy, um, healthy. But again, I am, as you know, a firm believer in a plant-based whole food diet. And when we do that, when we remove animal products from using them in our, in our, in our food, in our clothing, for entertainment, it just opens up something that people that haven't done this yet, and I say yet because I think everybody will one day, um, it just opens up a whole new life that it's hard to it's hard to put into words, but it is a game changer. So if I had to say one thing, I would say whole foods, plant based diet is is like the game changer, no question about it. Meditation is good it. too. Meditation and yoga, love them. So be a happy vegan. Live a, a really long time. Do a lot of good. Check out the website, David Maddow, M-A-D-O-W dot com. And we'll let you know where else to find him on social media all over the place. David, thank you so much. And thanks for that song. That was such an uplift. We loved it. You're very welcome. I thank you so much for having me, Victoria. <laughs> all the best. We'll do it again. You got it. We'll talk soon. Thank you. See you. Bye. <gasps> Wasn't that fun? We need more music in our lives. I should speak for myself in my life. You know, I can't even carry a tune, but I attract musicians. My husband was ranked second in the country in classical accordion when he was 12 years old. See, bet you didn't know there even was such a thing as classical accordion. The things you learn on the Main Street Vegan Show. Stay with us through this break. We will be back with Seth Tibbet, the founder of everybody's favorite Thanksgiving entree and lots of other great foods, the Tofurky Company. We'll be back. Wouldn't you like to share the programs that inspire you most with audiences around the world? That's easier than ever with mobile giving. Just text Unity Radio to 72727 and help us continue offering spiritual programs that change lives.
What if you could experience vibrant health, help heal the planet, and be a great friend to God's animal kingdom through simple choices you make at breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Authors Victoria and Adair Moran say you can do this easily, affordably, and deliciously in their new book, Main Street Vegan. Everything you need to know to eat healthfully and live compassionately in a real world. Loaded with practical tips, straightforward information, and fabulous recipes, Main Street Vegan will help you on your journey toward a plant-based diet. The perks include more energy, an easy way to keep your weight where you want it, feeling younger as you grow older, and maybe even a boost to your spiritual life. Purchase Main Street Vegan from BN.com, Amazon.com, or your favorite bookseller. At Metaphysical Romp 2, we demystify metaphysics to help you live life at a deeper level. One of our key principles is the recognition that you always have the power to choose how you respond to any situation. Instead of asking, why did this happen to me? A better practice, which aligns with the metaphysical principles we share, is to ask yourself the question, how can I use this for good? We promise you'll experience a transformation in thinking that will reap huge dividends as you master the art of living metaphysically. For new perspective and spiritual insight, listen to Metaphysical Romp 2 with co-hosts Rev. Paul Hasselbeck, Rev. Bill Holton, and Rev. Cher Holton. Tuesdays at 2 p.m. Central Time, here on Unity Online Radio. You're listening to Main Street Vegan with Victoria Moran. If you have questions or comments about today's topic or any other area of interest, we invite you to follow Victoria underscore Moran on Twitter or email her at MainStreetVegan at UnityOnlineRadio.org. Now, back to Main Street Vegan. Welcome back, everybody. Let me tell you a little story. Once upon a time... There were vegans, and sometimes they had sandwiches, and they were always peanut butter. And once a year, when Thanksgiving came, and everyone else was eating a dead bird, the vegans made loaves. They made nut loaves or lentil loaves. They were brown, and they were dry, but they were better and something dead until one day someone invented something miraculous and it was called tofurkey and the vegans lived happily ever after. I am so excited to be introducing to you that person who had that incredible inspiration and he is Seth Tibbet who founded the Tofurkey Company in 1980 with a personal investment of $2,500. So if you're sitting out there in vegan land thinking, I have this idea, go for it, because who knows, you could be the next Tofurkey. Now, Seth had actually started three years prior to that, making tempeh as a hobby while living in a tent and working as a naturalist along the banks of the Nolichucky River in Tennessee. He had been inspired by Francis Moore LePay's 1971 book, Diet for a Small planet, which awakened in him a passion for plant-based protein. The Tofurkey Company expanded quite a bit in uh, the early 1980s with some help from his brother, Bob, and his mom, Betty. And to save money at that time, Seth lived in a treehouse for seven years. The Tofurkey Company grew to the third largest tempeh manufacturer in the U.S. and moved in 1992 to an 8,000-square-foot cannery building in Hood River, Oregon, near Portland, where it is today making amazing faux meats and making vegans, vegetarians, and those who know us and want to serve us something we'd really like, very happy indeed. Welcome, Seth Tibbet. Thank you, Victoria. That was a nice introduction and good well, overview of the strange and fun journey that the last uh, 35 years have been. 
I love your journey. I wouldn't spend a night in a tent or a tree. And I love it that vegans come in so many different temperaments. <laughs> well, you live in a Manhattan tree house, don't you? Aren't you high up and above the ground? Well, in all honesty, I'm not as high as I would like. We're on the fifth floor now that we oh, yeah. bought our condo. We rented on 17 for a few years, and that was that was a delightful, wonderful thing. I, I do yeah. love views. <laughs> I do too, and there's no better view than sitting in a treehouse, uh, looking out over the canopy. You know, there's birds and animals that live up there that you just don't see when you're on the ground. So those oh. were uh, a great seven years of my life uh, when I was just a poor little tempeh maker, living on 300 bucks a month when the getting was good, and uh, I did that. Uh, basically for, well, 15 years of making tempeh before Tofurky came along. But uh, there were seven years in the tree. Oh, that's amazing. So tell us about tempeh. Why did you start with tempeh and what's good about it? Well, I loved tempeh uh, from the start. You know, when I was first a vegetarian in 1972, um, you know, I wasn't like the word vegan was invented, I guess, in the 40s, but it really wasn't in the common lexicon uh, till much later. And, um, you know, in the mid 70s, I changed to what was called a pure vegan uh, vegetarian diet then, which was a vegan diet, but it was called pure vegetarian diet. And the influence there was, uh, you know, I was always being prodded from my mom who was worried about, like all moms, where are you going to get your protein? You're a vegetarian, you know, and she was, and I was always like, I'm eating soybeans. And I would eat um, soybeans and tortillas, like I'd pressure cook the soybeans, and um, we'd have soybeans and tortillas a lot. I'd made soy burgers out of grits. And so then in that process, I discovered tempeh uh, on a visit to the farm, which was a spiritual community in Tennessee, where 1,200 hippies from Haight-Ashbury had settled and learned how to grow soybeans, and they didn't know what to do with the soybeans, so they sent Alexander Lyon, who had a Ph.D. in microbiology, to the NIH labs in Bethesda, Maryland, and he went through the library there and found tempeh and uh, tracked down Clifford Heseltine and uh, Dr. Wong of um, Clifford Heseltine was in Cornell and Dr. Wong was in the Northern Regional Research Lab uh, in Peoria, Illinois, and they had both been studying tempeh. And so he went and got the spores from them. And being a microbiologist, he uh, learned how to propagate them down on the farm and make tempeh, which was an instant hit amongst all of the farm uh, commune dwellers there. And that's where I first uh, visited when I was working in, uh, for the TVA as a naturalist uh, on the Lake Nolichucky. And uh, I went to the farm and got this starter and went home and split the beans by hand and set put the inoculant in and set them out in a pan in uh the 80 degree, 85, 88 degree temperature of uh, very Indonesian-like uh, temperature of Tennessee, and the beautiful tempeh grew. Tempeh is from Indonesia, by the way. I'll just make that footnote. And man, it was just we had it with sweet corn and okra, and it was just like and a love at first bite kind of thing. And uh, I just started making more and more of it when I went back to Oregon and then in 1979 all of my naturalist jobs that I had been working on since college kind of ended with the coming of the Ronald Reagan era and James Watt and he was like yeah we don't need so much of this environmental education you know stuff so a lot of those programs were cut so I was like oh probably be a good time to go into business because, uh, you know, it seems like if you're in business, you're not um, really at the whim of the government and of, you know, somebody's idea of what should happen and what shouldn't. So 
with that in mind and the dream of um, helping fund environmental projects, including a, a camp that I was working at and trying to start um, at that time, I started making tempeh. Very naive, not knowing anything about business. And uh, that was how it all started, was back then in 1980. Oh, that's, that's amazing. So how about the tofurkey? Where did that inspiration come from? The tofurkey well, holiday roast. Well, for one thing, so um, the next... The first 15 years when I was making tempeh was more of a cottage industry, and I was very poor, and, uh, you know, I was experimenting with different kinds of tempeh. And tempeh, you know, the first tempeh commercially was made in this country in 1976 by Glenn Randall, who was a school retired school teacher in Lincoln, Nebraska, of all places, and surprise, surprise, Tempe didn't take off in Nebraska like he was thinking, and he soon went out of business. But that, you know, the point is, Tempe was very new uh, in 1980, and it's still relatively new. Whereas tofu, you know, has been made in this country since 1900s or, or even earlier. Um, Tempe, which is really just sort of found in Indonesia, whereas tofu is everywhere throughout Asia, um, you know, so it's it's a sort of a younger food um, that I think still has, you know, great potential in this country, um, but tofu was a bigger play, I thought, so I was ex- interested to expand uh, our line and after 15 years finally start making a little money. So I had always had this um, problem like you referenced to a lot of, you know, vegetarians at the time or pure vegetarians or not so pure vegetarians, but I was a vegan at the time wanting something to eat at Thanksgiving. And I'd go to these Thanksgiving dinners where all my friends were having this, you know, big party and they were, you know, doing the drumstick and the wish sticks and all of this. And here I was with my side dishes and, you know, salads, which are great, but they're not like, you know, the I felt left out sort of, of the festivities. And so we were trying all these different, you know, stuffed pumpkin and a gluten roast and made all these complicated things. And, you know, a lot of them were failures. But uh, so what I was looking for was sort of a, bomb-proof, high-protein, you know, meat substitute that would bring sort of this other component to the holiday feast for me, for some to eat, and for other vegans and vegetarians. And so with that in mind, uh, I had a friend in Portland, Hans Robel, who still runs The Higher Taste, which is an awesome uh, vegetarian sandwich company in Portland, and he was making this tofurkey roast. It wasn't called tofurkey then. He called it like a holiday roast. And he was making about 50 of them a year at Thanksgiving for his best customers and selling them for 50 bucks with a little tub of gravy. And this recipe is still actually online. Um, and if you Google... I think you could even Google tofurkey with an E recipe. Uh, there's no E in our version of tofurkey, and I'll get to that story in a minute. But um, he was uh, making these roasts where you, you take a colander and you line it with cheesecloth, and then you mash tofu up and season it, and you fill the colander with tofu, and you take your fist, and you punch a big hole in the top, and then... In that cavity, you put your stuffing, and then you flip the whole thing over out of the colander, and take the cheesecloth off, and you know maybe marinate it with a little soy sauce or whatever, and then you bake it in an oven. And so that's the way we made the first 500 tofurkeys that we sold in 1995. And the problem with that is like they were great fresh, um, but we needed to freeze them to ship them to Seattle and you know California and different places. So when you freeze tofu, the texture changes and it becomes kind of spongy, 
which some people kind of like, but it really doesn't have the kind of texture that uh, I think is most desirable. So in spite of that, you know, Tofurky in 1995 got a lot of attention from the media, and it was on, like, the Today Show, and, you know, people just couldn't believe that there was somebody crazy enough to, A, call a product Tofurky, and then, B, make, you know, a meat substitute, like, to sell to the American public. They just didn't think that that was uh, a niche. But to us, it was just like we thought, well, we've discovered a niche, you know, that marketers dream about, you know, here's a, something that no one else is making. And, you know, we put little postcards, uh, self-addressed postcards in each tofurkey that we sold on these 500 and asked people to give us feedback. And, you know, the feedback from the people, this was before the internet, by the way, you know, you didn't have email, so you sent postcards to people, um, which is amazing to think about today but we got these postcards and people were all like oh man this is like i'm not a second class citizen anymore i'm i'm part of the the holiday and we love this and i've been waiting 20 years for this product you know it's just like so we were getting all that feedback from the people and uh you know as astounded as the retailers and the media and everybody else just couldn't believe that uh this was an actual product, but the people loved it. Well, my whole family loves it. It is such a tradition for us. I believe that you are the brains behind including the wishbone in with the tofurkey. Where did you get that idea? Yeah, well, we were just trying to, um, once again, you know, make it a more festive holiday experience. And so we had... We were making tofurkey jerky at the time, and uh, which was one of the products. You know, at first we just had the holiday products, and then we, a couple years later, you know, it was great because, you know, we were this small little company, and here we were, the eye of this big media storm, and we were literally putting the Washington Post on hold to talk to the New York Times and the <laughs> Wall Street Journal, and it was just like you know, tofurkey madness. And then, you know, January 1 would come around and the phones would stop ringing and you'd be back to your little (laughs) small business again. And it was just like, we were like, well, what do we do now? And then we were like, well, what does the turkey industry do? And well, they sell deli slices. So we tried deli slices and then that went over great. And then sausage and then jerky and everything. So we were making uh, tofurkey jerky, and so we just decided let's make a little something that is cruelty-free and have some cruelty-free wishes as opposed to breaking apart, you know, an animal's bones for good luck. Like, how crazy is that? <laughs> so... Um, yeah, we, we had added the wish sticks a few years later. No, oh, it's, it's so much fun. I mean, my my daughter was growing up, and that was always, you know, part of Thanksgiving. So Yeah, you want to have fun, you know. You I do. Mean, and, and that's sort of part of the magic of, I think, Tofurky is it's a fun name to say. It's, you know, creates, there's been jokes all along, you know, about it. It's It's iconic and... You know, even in the early days, most of the jokes were like, you know, from the meat-centric people, which were like, you know, sort of derisive of uh, tofurkey. And then, uh, but now, you know, it's like kind of tables have turned and you still have people, obviously, um, you know, that don't understand sort of plant-based meats, but... um, you, you see the the curve of history, and you see the way the world is turning and uh, evolving. And it's not just the United States, but you know, amazingly, uh, places that you would never even consider um, being plant based interested. Like we get emails from Iran and Chile and Iceland and just. Turkey. I mean, all over the world, uh, people are looking for different ways to eat. 
Well, that's so exciting. Now, what about the argument that I, I think most vegetarians and vegans have gotten at one time or another? Well, if if you're vegetarian and you think it's wrong to eat meat, then why do you want to eat something that looks like meat or tastes like meat? What do you yeah. say? Well, that's a great point. I'm glad you bring that up because what we always point out is that, you know, uh, people eat plant-based foods and diets in general, we find for one of three reasons um, when people write us. You know, the strongest reason, I guess, the one you hear the most about is diet. You know, people wanting to lose weight, wanting to manage cholesterol, fat, and all of the, you know, nutritional advantages of um, the vegan diet. So that's sort of the number one reason. What can it do for me? And then, you know, the secondary reason, there, there's sort of a tie there between the people that see the environmental uh, costs of raising meat, you know, of the inefficiency, all the inefficiencies on water and grain and, you know, the the effects that that has on wildlife habitat and greenhouse emissions and everything. So that's a very, um, you know, acute rising problem that is addressed by diet. And then the third reason, of course, is, you know, just the animal cruelty uh, reason and, you know, the exposure now of, you know, with the Internet, everybody has access to what's going on in these slaughterhouses and behind closed doors. And so, you know, what was hidden before is now, uh, you know, you have the choice to, to see how your, your meat is raised and all the suffering that it causes. So those are the three reasons. You know, what is not usually a reason in which we never hear is people saying, you know, I'm being a vegan because I just didn't like the taste of meat or I didn't like, you know, the flavor. Um, you rarely, rarely hear that. By overwhelmingly, it's those three. So, you know, here you're you're delivering to people uh, meat. It's just meat from plants. You know, you're taking away the the middleman, the the cow or the pig or the you know the animal that's been fed all these plants, and you're feeding the plants directly to people. And it's just a great way to. Uh, look at it there. So that's, I guess, basically how I respond is that, you know, and if people can have a uh, plant-based food in a method that is, you know, uh, comfortable to them and it's familiar to them, then it seems to uh, strike a chord in many people that, you know, here I can have this chew and this taste and this flavor uh, that reminds me of childhood and, you know, before I started learning about all of the downsides of meat, like mm. here's how I was raised. So I guess that's my answer is that flavor, although my wife is one of the few people I might add that grew up uh, really not liking, you know, to eat meat and being forced to eat meat and really rebelling against it. So that was her journey. But my journey was you know, hamburgers and uh, kind of grew up on meat. Uh, and I love your phrase, meat from plants. That's that's yeah. just perfect. That is. Yeah. So a- another devil's advocate question, because we, we do hear this. When people say, but it's processed, why do you want to eat processed foods? Now, I know tofurkey products have no GMOs and no artificial ingredients, but something like tempeh, which is just fermented soybeans, would be considered really minimally processed. But then when we get into some of these other wonderful <laughs> foods right. that are more reminiscent of things that we remember, there is right. more processing involved. What do you say to that? Well, first of all, um, you know, like you, you point out, you know, tempeh and then tofu um, 
are both what you would call lightly processed foods, I think, or traditionally processed soy foods. I mean, tempeh and tofu have a long history of <clears throat> providing health, you know, for traditional cultures throughout the world. And those are the items that we base all of our tofurkey products on. It's like organic tofu, organic tempeh, um, and that's that's the processing right there, you know. And what is a processed food? The process of making tofurkey is basically a bread-making process. You know, we're kneading the flours together with the tofu in these big machines and then steam cooking them in ovens. And, you know, when the processed food label kind of implies, to me anyways, you know, artificial preservatives, um, our flavors and everything that we do, um, you know, we're very strict. We don't use the, for instance, uh, soy protein isolates or concentrates, which virtually all of our competitors in this space use. And those are a very uh, highly processed form of soy, you know, where you take the bean and you soak the bean in hexane, which is a ecotoxin. It's actually an ingredient in gasoline, but it's a solvent. And what it does is after you take the beans out, the, it separates the starch from the protein. And so you're left with the protein, and it's very high protein, this powder, and they pulverize it into a powder. And the hexane uh, actually evaporates into the air, but it doesn't all evaporate. There's parts per million still left in the uh, isolates we find. So um, the question becomes is how much gasoline do you want in your natural food product? So for that reason, it's we don't use it. You know, And this is like a, a very niche. Very few people are aware of that or concerned about it. We don't do that because of customer demand or the customers really, you know, like this is a, a sales point. We do it because we know what it's like and we believe that the best way to uh, eat is to eat minimally processed foods and traditional processed foods like tofu and tempeh. I mean, that's a very different process. Like in tofu making, you're splitting the bean, you're cooking the bean, you are then pressing the bean to get the water out, you know, and then coagulating that. So it's a very gentle process. Tempeh is the same uh, way. It's like you cook the beans, you inoculate them with a culture, and you ferment them. So it has all the advantages of fermentation. So between those two um, methods, you know, we make our stand on that. Oh, that's also. so good. Well, I I will tell you my family's favorite tofurkey products, and then I want to hear your very favorite. So my husband, William, it is jumbo hot dogs. My son-in-law, Nick, beer brats. And my daughter, Adair, deli slices. I, I left her today in, in her post-surgical sick bed. She fell doing aerial performance and um, has a plate now on her collarbone. She said, tell him how good are the deli slices. So I'm telling you that. So what's your favorite? Well, you know, it varies. Um, Like certainly, you know, the roast is like an all-time favorite. And I've got this um, method of cooking that I actually got out of the Vegetarian Times magazine last year. And it's just awesome. Um, So... Uh, I love, love, love the roast. But beyond that, you know, lately it's always, you know, you always like the new thing and the the new crazy thing. So uh, we have this slow roasted chicken that's like unbelievable. And um, this is my stepson, Jamie, uh, who is this Ph.D. scientist from the University of Washington, and he's uh, the CEO and president now uh and i've stepped down to be chairman in international sales and uh it's just the best texture that you'll ever find in chicken he's figured out like how proteins knit together 
and he's made this uh, chicken that is just blowing people away, and it's selling really, really well. And um, we have five flavors. We have a barbecue, a Thai basil, uh, tandoori, sesame garlic, and a lightly seasoned. And so, uh, like, my wife takes that out to the barbecue, and she barbecues it with a little barbecue sauce and heats it in a pan. And then we eat it with... uh, yakisoba noodles and veggies and oh my god <laughs> it's just like the best so oh, that i guess wonderful. right now that's we'll my uh, that. favorite one uh-huh. uh, now i i know that you have another meeting to get to and it is uh 10 minutes to the hour i said we'd stop now do you just want to give us another word on something exciting on the international scene yeah sure well international sales um you know has been an area that I've been working on for uh, the last couple of years, and uh, it's going great. Like Australia, the UK, and Germany are the big countries where we're experiencing success, and uh, you know it's just so cool to see those countries and and the world really you know, changing its diet, because a lot of people, you know, you tell them Germany, and they go, well, what? That's like big meat-eating country, you know, there's all these meat sausage people, but actually, um, thanks to Tofurky and Success and other products like it, uh, the meat sausage makers now in Germany are all stumbling over themselves trying to create vegetarian sausages, so... We have we've created competition in that market, and the the biggest meat sausage company in Germany has said <clears throat> we want to sell twenty percent of our um, annual gross sales in vegetarian sausages by two thousand like eighteen or something. So <clears throat> that's an incredible sign, and wow. uh, you know you see that couple that with what's happening in Australia and. Uh, the UK, like they're just going uh, tofurkey crazy. So uh, they're just, a lot of these people, you know, have filled their suitcases up when they come to the U.S. with deli slices and taken them back to their country. Um, But so they're just thrilled to have tofurkey. That is so exciting. And I don't know that that's anything that we would have anticipated back in the 70s when I was in Kansas City and you were in a tent. <laughs> no. <laughs> it's a That's new, wonderful world, about. and much of it is... Much of that is thanks to you. So I want to honor your time and let you go on to your next thing today. Thank you so very much, Seth. And we'll put all the information on the show notes for where people can find out more about what's going on at Tofurky. Have a wonderful rest of your day. Thanks for sharing your time and all this great information with us. Thanks, Victoria. All the best. Take care. Yeah, you too. Thank Thank you. So, listeners, we have a little bit of time, just us. I want to tell you what I'm going to do tonight. You know, one of my great joys of being here in New York City is getting to go to all these cool vegan events. And tonight there's going to be one that seems like it's going to be so much fun. This is the second friends and family opening night of a new, very cool pizza restaurant in the East Village. It's called Double Zero and Company, and it's spelled zero zero plus C-O. So I guess we're supposed to say Double Zero and Co. That's it. This is a Matthew Kenny restaurant. Now, if you're vegan, you're familiar with Matthew Kenny, amazing chef, wonderful reputation, restaurants in California and around and about. And now he's going to have this restaurant specializing in pizza here in New York City. So I will be posting on all my social media. If you want to look on Instagram, where I'm Main Street Vegan, uh, Facebook is Main Street Vegan, Twitter, Victoria underscore Moran. I promise to take pictures. And um, you know what's cool? If you just put in Google, as of today, two zeros, and the name Kenny, K-E-N-N-E-Y, Matthew Kenny's last name, this new restaurant pops up as the first and second thing. 
I just think it's wonderful when something brand new and very vegan uh, gets that kind of attention on Google. It's also exciting. So many wonderful things are happening in the veg world. So let me just fill you in on some other things that are going on around here. As you know, uh, MainStreetVegan.net has a blog every single week, and this week's blog is really good. It's about why we don't have more men. Now, I know we have wonderful men. We just had two wonderful male guests, but the percentage of male vegans is not as high as we would like it. And so a very, very cool guy who is named Carlo Giardina, he's a graduate of Main Street Vegan Academy. He and his wife do the Food Duo on Twitter, a wonderful twice a week, very, very popular tweet chat. And they're also opening a convenience store in Philadelphia called V Marks the Spot. But according to the Huffington Post, says Carlo, women make up 79% of the vegan population while guys lag at 21%. Vegetarians, it's a little bit more of an even split, 59% women, 41% men. So Carlo is asking, what's the deal? And he has a very, very thoughtful post this week. So if you go to MainStreetVegan.net, slash blog, uh, you'll be able to to find that. And if you're a podcast listener and you're listening sometime far out into the future, that's the February 9, 2016 post. And it's simply called Darth because there's a little bit of a Darth of, of the male <laughs> in the vegan world. But uh, we know we're getting more than we have ever had. I also just want to share with you guys the wonderful gift that I got this morning. I received a giant box of dates. These are imported dates from a lovely young woman who went through Main Street Vegan Academy, Rindala Alajaji. And I have to tell you, if you have never had fresh dates... Find them somewhere. I think if you live in California, maybe Florida, you can can get them fresh. I know I've gotten them in, in London. But to have actual wonderful dates that only a short while ago were on a tree, it's just such a treat. And because this is Ash Wednesday, this is the beginning of, of Lent, I am um, not going to eat anything with sugar in it. I don't think I eat much sugar Anyway, but I do get some of it when I go to Starbucks and, you know, have that sugary vanilla soy milk in my tea. So I think it is so cool that on the day of no sugar, I got all this amazing natural sugar. So thank you, Rindala, for that. Oh my gosh, our time is up. Thanks so much to David Maddow and to Seth Tibbet. You can find information about Tofurky on Twitter at Tofurky or on Facebook at The Tofurky Company. I'll put everybody's URLs all over the show notes. If you go to MainStreetVegan.net, click on podcast, those show notes will pop up and you can get all that information. In the meantime, God bless you and eat your veggies and soy. Take care. Thank you for listening to Main Street Vegan. Join us every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Central Time as Victoria Moran entertains, educates, and inspires you on your vegan journey. This program is sponsored by Main Street Vegan. To learn more about Victoria or to explore training with Main Street Vegan Academy as a vegan lifestyle coach, go to www.mainstreetvegan.net. That's www.mainstreetvegan.net. notice how the funniest things happen when we stop taking ourselves too seriously and step out boldly listen to funniest thing with daryl and ed as these unlikely saints administer a refreshing dose of laughter and love that will inspire you to step out boldly and experience the funniest things join the discussion with daryl and ed live every wednesday at 5 p.m central time on funniest thing only on unity online radio the voice of an awakening world
Intuition is our spiritual GPS and the single best tool that we have for navigating our lives. I'm Victoria Shaw, and on my Intuitive Connection podcast, I will share with you the ways to connect with your intuition and awaken the gifts of your soul. In each episode, I'll draw on my own intuitive gifts and my training as an Ivy League trained counselor and psychologist to help support you in reaching your highest potential. Start listening now on Mind Body Spirit FM Podcast Network or wherever you find your podcasts.